Chapter 1 Family and Culture by Randy Booth Creation When God created man in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures, and told him to be fruitful and multiply, that was a mandate to fill the earth with godly people who would produce a godly culture. That is what godly people do. The goal was not to multiply misery or to populate hell, but rather to advance God and his kingdom. The introduction of sin fouled the planet. In fact, it made it green, green with envy. Sin corrupted the culture. Soon thereafter, God promised a Redeemer. This redemptive work unfolded throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament closes in Malachi with reminders that God, among other things, wants husbands to be devoted to their wives, families to produce godly children, and the hearts of fathers and children to be turned toward one another. This, the Lord said, would prevent the land from being smitten with a curse. The New Testament then opens with John the Baptist, whom Jesus identifies as Elijah, preparing the way for the Savior who would accomplish all of this through the gospel. However, the first work of the gospel is a work of separation. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 34-38 On the face of it, this does not sound like a very family-friendly program. If there is to be redemption, if there is to be recovery from the fall, then a radical break from the fallen way of doing things must occur. So, the Savior lays his claim on us first, and then he calls us to walk away from everyone and everything in order to follow him. He even initially separates us from our family, so that new families can emerge. These are redeemed families, who will now fill the earth with a new humanity, with godly children. What Jesus does after we forsake everything is send us back as new men, husbands, wives, and parents, and send us back to material things to use for His glory. The church, the body of Christ, is the starting place of our redemption. From there, we are sent out to represent and serve Him. The church is an outpost of the kingdom of God. From there, we are sent back to our families to establish outposts of the church. And thus, we need families that are oriented first and foremost toward Christ and His body, the church. We need church-friendly families. Then, and only then, can we expect to see our families truly transformed. Transformed men and women transformed families, and ultimately a transformed world. Sin is the destroyer of lives. Thus, people come to the church in all kinds of conditions and with all kinds of baggage. The church begins by accepting people the way they are. But the work of the church does not stop with acceptance because the work of redemption is about changing people. They cannot stay the way they are. All things have become new. For the purposes of introducing the topic of family and culture, it is important for us to see the primacy of the church over ourselves and our families. 
When our priorities are straight, that is, when Jesus is indeed Lord, then his followers will see a transformation. A family culture will emerge that will truly be salt and light in a rotting and dark world. Charting a Course Do you like the culture you see? If so, then we should keep doing what we're doing. If not, then we have to chart a new course. If you follow the trajectory of the broader culture, where do your children and grandchildren land? Scripture tells us that we are to think in terms of our children and our children's children and, therefore, to act in faithfulness to God and His Word. In fact, the sons of Issachar are commended in the Bible for understanding the times in which they lived and for knowing what Israel ought to do. 1 Chronicles 12.23 Do we really understand our times, and do we know what to do in the church and in our families? Where are the deficits in the broader culture, and are those deficiencies being self-consciously addressed in your home? For starters, I would suggest that the broader culture clearly lacks leadership, respect, and love, and thus our homes, the outposts of the church, should be pictures of leadership, respect, and love. We tend to think of culture as something that is out there, and as having an influence on us and our families. But a culture is found anywhere there is a community of people. It is through culture that our way of living is transmitted from one generation to the next. As Henry Van Til put it, culture is religion externalized. This is another way of saying that our ideas or beliefs have consequences, and that these consequences are visible in our communities. We might consider this the practical side of philosophy. It matters what we think. Every idea produces a particular kind of fruit. Every culture is the product of ideas. For example, President Obama is the product of years of ideas generated by liberation theology, taught to him by Reverend Jeremiah Wright. He now hopes to lead us all in a similar direction. That's what leaders do. However, not only do ideas have consequences, but consequences have ideas. In other words, we can look at this from the other side. When we see a culture and its fruit, which is what we often see first, we must ask, what ideas produce this culture? What is the theology behind what we are seeing? Many times the ideas have not been thought about in a systematic way. We either don't evaluate the culture at all, it just is, or the ideas seem to be random and unconnected. You see, we all do philosophy, but we don't all do philosophy well. Our philosophies are frequently haphazard and inconsistent. As a result, the fruit of our philosophy is also haphazard and inconsistent. Since we are inevitably philosophers, in other words, we have ideas, we must strive to be consistently Christian in our philosophy. A family has a culture. You are the church and you constantly represent the church. With this in mind, we must remember that a family is a community, and thus, it too has a culture. Just as the broader culture influences family culture, so too family culture influences other cultures with which it comes into contact. The family culture is a reflection of its ideas and beliefs. Some people are better than their beliefs, and others are worse than their beliefs. What we say and what we do are often in conflict. What we do, however, is the ultimate reflection of what we believe. Thus, we can look at the culture of a family and get a picture of what the family's beliefs and values really are. Matthew 7.20 Paul writes, 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 It is therefore essential that we develop self-conscious and distinctively Christian ideas about the family culture. What do we want the broader culture to look like? Then we should set out to make our families a picture of that broader Christian culture. Cleaning out the garage Our own views of a subject are often shaped by a variety of sources, family, friends, media, school, pop culture, church, the Bible, and so forth. We can't easily sort through all these influences and separate them because they are frequently jumbled together. In fact, they are likely blurred in our own minds, creating vague or fuzzy images. Therefore, if we are to learn to think more biblically, we must begin a winnowing process by which we evaluate our ideas in light of a sound theology replacing old ideas with new ones. Inevitably, we will find that we have to adjust our views, casting off many erroneous notions and adopting new and sometimes radical views in their place. Unfortunately, it is not uncommon for us to make minor adjustments and yet perceive them as major. We have often gone one mile in the right direction when, in fact, we need to go a hundred miles. God created man in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. By his rebellion, man forfeited his ability to do this well. A perverted man was the result. All kinds of difficulty and misery ensued, with conflicts in the family, culture, and the broader culture continuing and expanding. In the midst of this chaos, God sent his Son, the firstborn of a new humanity, the second Adam. This new man, who also had knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures, is the Redeemer of fallen man. He is the model or image of what we are called to be. Our transformation is our restoration to true humanity, and that true humanity doesn't look like the popular images of humanity. In fact, it is likely contrary to much of what we have picked up along the way. Cleaning out the garage is a dreaded task for most of us. There is a lot of junk we have collected over the years, and much of it needs to go. But if we want to build something useful, we will need some space, some tools, and some plans. And what we need to build is a family culture that we can leave to our children and our children's children. We need to build a culture that is going to change the world. The Importance of an Image I enjoy woodworking and especially furniture building. After cleaning out my garage, I always start with a set of plans. I need an image of what the project is going to look like when it's finished. Many times those plans look complicated. The project will usually require me to acquire new tools and develop new woodworking skills. In other words, how to curve wood. I sometimes doubt whether I can actually pull it off, and I certainly make mistakes along the way. It's almost always harder than I imagined it would be. But in the end, when the project is finished, I have created an heirloom, something that will be passed on for generations. We all have images in our heads of the way things are supposed to be, and over time we become those images. This is why we have to be careful about what goes in, because what goes in eventually comes out. 
Our mental images are partly and subtly formed from past experiences, including our own upbringing and the culture around us. Taking off the old man, old images, and putting on the new man, new images, is essential to our ceasing to be an old man and becoming a new man in Christ. Ephesians 4.17 New images can and must be formed by the Word of God. Thus, we are not conformed to the world, but are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12.2 For us, as the new humanity in Jesus Christ, everything has become new. Indeed, we are being conformed to the image of His Son. Romans 8.29 The old images are replaced by new images, and thus a new family culture emerges. It is essential that we have before our mind's eye the picture of God's ideals, an ideal father, husband, wife, mother, children, and household. These images will be grand, too grand at first. We all fall short of the glory of God. But it is His redemptive work, the work of the Spirit in sanctification that moves us in the direction of those new images. We will need to refer to them repeatedly. Within the context of the broader evangelical church, we can hear men honestly attempting to speak to a corrupt culture and calling people to repent, but there is frequently no solid biblical culture to replace it with. Our churches are too often not filled with models of what a godly family culture looks like. For that, we will first need some godly husbands and fathers to self-consciously form that image and then lead their wives and children to catch the vision of a family culture that honors our calling in Christ. Following the Instructions Back to my furniture building. When the project looks complicated or overwhelming, I try to focus on a single piece. I can build that. I can follow those instructions. I can produce that one shape or element that is part of the whole. I still need to see and remember the big picture. In fact, if I'm ever to see the project come to completion, I will need to refer to the plans often, while focusing on the particular task before me. I read the directions, in their proper order, over and over again. I read them until I understand them. God's Word contains the plans and the directions for building a family culture. It is the church's task to maintain and instruct her members in God's Word, and to send her members out the door to their various outposts, where they self-consciously apply those lessons day by day. Indeed, it is a grand project, with challenges, frustrations, and failures, but also with much help and hope. The inspired scriptures are for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. We all begin this project of building a family culture with different skill sets, experiences, tools, raw materials, and so on. Some aspects of the task will be easier than others. Some families will excel where others struggle. God knew this when He called us to the project. By His grace, He is able to supply all our needs in Christ. He does this by placing us in His church to work alongside others. So, regardless of where we are when we begin, we must begin looking to Him who has begun a good work in us. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 A big part of those good works includes, for most of us, the building of a family culture that conforms to His plans. 
step back. As we individually come to Christ, he tells us that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26-27 and verse 33. Following Jesus begins with forsaking our relationships with other people, ourselves, and our possessions. All of these relationships are corrupted by sin. As soon as we come to him, he sends us back to all those relationships, to ourselves, and even to all our material possessions to truly love them as new men in Christ. We now go back to our wives and husbands and children and begin, by the grace of God, to rebuild a city, a community of grace. The streets need to be swept, some demolition must occur, and the ruins must be repaired. If individuals are really transformed by the grace of God, it is inevitable that the culture they live in will also be transformed. Thereby, the kingdom of God advances in the earth, and the transformed family cultures, these individual outposts of the body of Christ, change the world. Step back and look at your own family culture. Get an aerial view. The good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly all have a trajectory. They all produce some kind of culture. So if you see parts of your family culture that do not look right, parts that are not reflecting the images of the Heavenly Father or of Christ and His Church, then stop doing what you're doing and replace them with something better. Remember, ideas have consequences. You need some new, or old, ideas in order to improve on your family culture in order to reflect the Father and Jesus Christ to the world. This is why sound biblical views of the triune God are critical. We must know the persons and work of God well, since these form the images to which we will conform. Shallow or fuzzy images won't do. The Bible brings focus to the comprehensive vision of God's redemptive work, and that work extends as far as the curse is found. When God works in us, He also works through us to produce a godly culture that is transmitted to others and to the next generation. We become the salt and light of the world. Christ and His Church God uses several images to describe the church, which provide models for our marriages. Ephesians 5, 22-33 The parent-child relationship, Galatians 3, 26 And the whole household, 1 Timothy 3, 15 Just as the body of Christ The church is a community of persons with diverse functions that inevitably produce a culture, 1 Corinthians 12, 12-14. So too is the nuclear family, which is an outpost or extension of the church. As we develop a stronger awareness of how the church models these familial relationships, we will see the fruit of that instruction in our individual homes. The body of Christ is not a slice of the pie. It is the pie and the family is a slice of that pie. Even within our daily family routines, we are never separated from Christ. Our cooking, eating, and drinking, our conversations, labors, and lovemaking, our finances, child-rearing, discipline, and singing, our resting, playing, and hospitality, our praying, reading scripture, and worshiping are all to be manifestations of the culture of Christ. Not one square inch is to be void of Him. 
Thus, it is in this daily context that we take the lessons, the theology, doctrine, and exhortations of the Church back to our homes where we actually apply what we have learned. Do you discuss the sermons with your family? There should be a self-conscious oozing out of love for God and instruction from the Word of God, omnipresent in our families. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 Father and Fathers As we seek to rebuild the broader culture through our churches and families, it is essential that the gospel light shines in the darkness and shows the way. There is perhaps no place where this is more needed than in the area of fatherhood. Sadly, the broader culture is an increasingly fatherless culture, an emasculated culture, to the point where father hunger is one of the great needs of the day. The more fatherless a culture is, the more dramatic the symptoms of the famine at both the macro and micro levels. Father love is the solution to the problem. A pervasive fatherless culture has led us to our aimless postmodern emasculated culture. Who's to say? Who's to lead? Who's to protect? We are left without authority, guidance, or protection. All of these are fatherly provisions, and we are left empty and hungry. As Christian men desperately look for an image of a godly father and household, it is natural to look to the past. We find old images in books, and soon a movement is born that tries to recreate those nostalgic old images. As charming and quaint as they might seem, they are as out of place as three-cornered hats and buckled shoes. We end up looking silly and, worse, we become culturally irrelevant. We need to know what a father looks like today. Painting a new image using the old colors of Scripture As we learn how to worship and how to live in a community, we learn how to pull together and how to live around the table and around our tables. We have to start thinking again. This will take a self-conscious redesign. We are called to be fathers that truly represent our Father. This will feel awkward at first because in many respects it is new. Yet for our sons and daughters it will feel normal. We buy what is familiar. This is why advertisers spend millions on branding. What is feeding our imagination? It cannot feed on what is not seen or heard. Pop culture gives us father images, buffoons and lovable idiots, the old fogey, the abusive father, and so forth. We begin with abstract knowledge, theology, what God thinks, followed by instruction and verbal images, preaching and teaching. Little by little, the new pictures get drawn. Soon they become plausible. Next, they become habit. That's culture. Finally, they become generational. Fathers and the Gospel The light of the gospel is the only light. So, as the gospel light shines through fathers, it soon shines through the family cultures. The darkness of the broader culture is thereby exposed and dispelled. Father hunger is really the hunger for love. True love provides. 
it provides everything. The Father's first duty is to love, to love first. We love Him because He first loved us, 1 John 4.19. Central to love is giving or sacrificing for the sake of the Beloved. John 3.16 says this before us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so earthly fathers, if they are to fill the emptiness, must likewise give themselves, sacrifice themselves, for the sake of their families. Since earthly fathers represent God the Father, loveless, hateful fathers produce resentment against God the Father, raising God-haters instead of God-lovers. Our father Abraham was the pattern for godly fatherhood. God had promised Abraham that he would be God to you and your descendants after you, Genesis 17.7, that he would make him a great and mighty nation, Genesis 18.18, and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed in him, Genesis 18.18. But God's covenant promises of blessing were conditioned upon Abraham and his descendants keeping the terms of the covenant, all a part of God's gracious work. As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations, Genesis 17.9. We then read, For I have known him, that is Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him, Genesis 18.19. Notice the centrality of the condition of fatherly faithfulness. Abraham must personally keep covenant with God, and his descendants must keep covenant with God. The means of accomplishing this would be Abraham's commanding his children and household to keep the way of the Lord. All of this is the work of gospel grace in the life of a godly father. Logical and Analogical God the Father is logical. We are analogical. It is therefore essential that we have before us the proper form of a father without allowing it to become formalism, form without substance. Fatherhood is always an issue of the heart. We cannot be simply technicians. We must be full of both wisdom and grace, self-consciously setting before the world a true image of God the Father. Through this we can change the world for many generations. This is the work of the gospel. A word of caution for overcompensating fathers is perhaps needed. Men need not thump their chests, but rather recognize that when we are reclaiming some lost territory, balance is essential. In our rush to get out of the ditch on one side, we can easily fall into the ditch on the other side. Well-intentioned but overzealous fathers can also leave children hungry. Force-feeding is not the solution. As image-bearers of the father, we show the world what a father is supposed to look like. We are to be great lovers, in other words, great givers. It is a high standard, but when the question is asked about you as a father, one response should dominate. He loves his family. And when the follow-up question comes, how do you know, they say, we see it in his sacrifice for his family's sake. He is there when they need him. He is there before they need him. He defends, he confronts, he feeds, he protects, he weeps, and he rejoices with them and for them. He never asks them to do what they haven't already seen him do. He is masculine, courageous, and loving, clear, resolute, wise, and gracious, 
imitating the Heavenly Father in every way possible. This is where a Christian family culture begins. The husbandman, the head, the husband, the father, is not only the image-bearer of God the Father and Christ the husband, he is the image-setter for the rest of the family culture, and ultimately the broader culture. Not only what he says, but more importantly, what he does will become the model for the rest of the household and future generations. He is the cultivator of the vineyard, and it is that cultivation, or lack thereof, that will be the basis of cultural faithfulness. See Proverbs 24, 30-34. If he is a man full of grace and godly character, he will act courageously with clear and resolute purpose, especially when no one else is looking. Like God, he is a man of his word. If he said he would do it, it is as good as done. A man who self-consciously and joyfully does his duty before God is respected by those who are under his care, and emulation of that character becomes the root of generational and cultural transformation. Like the Heavenly Father, an earthly father is a provider and protector, but he must also be one with the vision to lead the family, by example, and to show them where they are going. Like Christ, he is the loving, sacrificing husband for his bride, and like the Holy Spirit, by his labor he manifests his true relationship with the Father and the Son. Christian family culture cannot develop and prosper without these clear images constantly being portrayed and reinforced. Families are outposts of the church, the kingdom of God, and fathers and husbands are building little cities at those outposts.